Welcome. You've joined the Sexy Lifestyle with Carol and David. Our show is here to help you achieve better, better love, better sex, and a better, more intimate relationship. Are you ready? Take notes and send us your questions. This is the Sexy Lifestyle. Now, here are your hosts, Carol and David. Hi, everyone. I'm Carol. And I'm David. Are you ready to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and always horny? Well, you've come to the right place because that's what the Sexy Lifestyle is all about. David and I are passionate about making your sex life the best it can be. We sure are. And you know we love talking about sex and sexuality, sexual pleasure, communication, consent, respect, and relationships. And hope our discussions open up your dialogue about great sex because... Well, great sex matters and we all deserve it. So do you ever wonder why people feel shame about their sexuality, about their sexual fantasies, about their desires, or just about anything to do with sex? Well, on today's show, we're going to be talking about how we can push aside the shame, even deep-rooted shame about things we've done in the past, and move into a place where we love ourselves no matter what. Oh man, I cannot wait. But before we get into the show, let's talk a little bit about our Throws of Passion blanket. So are you fed up of sleeping in the wet spot or having to change your sheets every time you have sex? Well, We've got a simply sexy solution for you. Throws the Passion Waterproof Blanket is 100% waterproof. We actually designed it because Carol's this big squirter and we needed to protect our mattress. And it guarantees to keep your bed 100% dry no matter how wet it gets. Even if you're a prolific squirter like Carol is, just throw it down and get it on. The Throws the Passion Waterproof Blanket will protect your play space from any messy massage oils, lubes, or any other sexy wetness. And the best thing is, it's machine washable and dryable. It's now available in two sizes, jumbo and travel. So get yours today on Amazon. Go search Amazon for the Throws of Passion Waterproof Blanket. Great sex starts now. This is A Sexy Lifestyle, and we are Carol and David, and we're very excited to introduce our guest. Veronica Monet is a coach and sexologist, and she combines her extensive education with deep empathy derived from personal experience. Veronica is committed to helping others with their own personal empowerment and realize the freedom and joy that is their birthright. Wow, I love this, and I cannot wait to have this discussion with Veronica. So let's invite her and welcome her onto The Sexy Lifestyle, Veronica, so great to have you here today. Hey, I'm really glad to be here, and I was really uh, digging your explanation about your blanket. <laughs> that's, a, that's an issue, isn't it, when you are a squirter, especially if you squirt like I do. It's a, it's a lot, so yeah, you need something. And you don't yeah. want to wet you don't yeah, want to wet great. that bed every single time. So you know, eventually the mattress has to be thrown out if you don't protect it. So we're so happy to have our blanket. And I say, you know, squirt yeah. is hot. Squirt is hot until it's not, and the guys got to sleep in it. The guys, yeah, sure. Uh huh. Well, <laughs> it, it, it's it's it, for uh, Carol. It sounds like you're kind of a girl after my own heart there. Um. So <laughs> don't do anything halfway. She never does. <laughs> So, Veronica, we're so excited (laughs) to discuss such an important topic as shame and how to overcome it. So we're so excited about this whole episode. And we understand that you have an important personal story about some past struggles, which is really probably the root of your work today, helping people overcome all sorts of trauma and shame. Absolutely. I grew up in a a, um, very strict religious home. I read the Bible from cover to cover when I was 12. My mother used to have me memorize uh, Bible verses on flashcards, and we had 
these very austere holidays. Some of them involved fasting for 24 hours. And um, it was a very, very sex-negative um, religion and home environment. And not surprisingly, if you ask me, when you have that much uh, repression and suppression going on around sexuality, um, some very unpleasant things can result from that. So there was uh, rampant incest on both sides of my family. My mother's an incest survivor. Her mother's an incest survivor. My father's an incest survivor. Uh, all my uncles. It's it's really sad. And yet, instead of dealing with the non-consensual sexuality, they um, made it their practice to condemn adult consensual sexual behaviors. And usually in the name of their religion while pounding their Bible. So I grew up just really confused, um, you know, why their children were being sexually abused, uh, but these good people were going to church talking about the evils of sex. Very, very conflicting information and, um, and traumatic. Um, I ended up leaving my home um, kind of without very many boundaries, and um, so I ended up getting uh, raped twice uh, after I left home, and um, that's just more trauma, you know, first I'm an incest survivor, then I'm a rape survivor, and it wasn't until I got uh, clean and sober and got into therapy and really started working on my ability to uh, connect with myself to, to understand what my own sexual desire was, to have uh, healthy boundaries and assertion skills, that uh, I started to see that actually I think that when we have um, that kind of sexual shame, it's almost always going to result in sexual perpetration. So that's why I am on such a committed mission to, to free people of shame, to free the culture of shame. And... Um, to hopefully embrace a healthy sexuality because I, I really think that our sexuality is, is uh, primal. I think it comes before our first sip of mother's milk and our first breath of fresh air because we have now documented uh, masturbation in the womb. Wow. Isn't that exciting? Wow, that's very exciting. <laughs> Sucking thumbs and playing with yourself. Wow, that's okay. You can, if you can do it from that early age, just do it, right? I have <laughs> to tell you, one of my favorite little, it's a naughty fantasy, but I love just imagining these angry ministers pounding the pulpit about the evils of masturbation and spilling your seed and all this stuff. And, and yet, of course, they're also you know, very much against birth control so everybody in church is pregnant, and the babies are busy masturbating during the sermon. <laughs> that, is, that is very funny. Yeah. Can, can I ask you a personal question then? At what age were you when you finally got therapy and started talking about your traumas from your past? I was 25. That was the year that I got sober. Mm -hmm. And because, um, you know, boy, when you come out of an abusive home like that, um, it's not uncommon to turn to drugs and alcohol for some kind of relief. So, but fortunately for me, that was a brief, um, brief, albeit um, very difficult stage in my life. And um, I came out the other side um, sober and in therapy. 
And uh, I really did a lot of intense work around um, incest and rape. And, and so it's I'm kind of unique in the world of sex positive uh, sex education because of the fact that I know that sex, when it is used uh, as a form of abuse, can be very, uh, very damaging. And at the same time, I practice uh, sex as part of my spiritual path. Wow. That's so, um, mm-hmm. yeah. Very cool. We often hear when we talk to people who have had traumatic experiences in the past, that has it's like for a, a potential blockage for enjoying sex with their current partner who they're in love with and in a very safe environment, and yet they're not having that wonderful sex because there's blockages from past experiences. So when you were 25, were you working on that to make sure that you didn't have a blockage in the future, that you could continue a normal, wonderful, sex-positive life? It's a great question, Carol. Thank you for that. Because one of my frustrations when I was seeking uh, help, it it was oftentimes in a very necessary stage of getting angry, reclaiming my rage. Um, but it, it seemed like it stopped there. Like we never got to the joy. We never got to the pleasure. And um, that's really um, where a lot of survivors get stuck. They know they've been abused. Um, they know that it was harmful. But nobody seems to help them make that next step, which is, okay, you process your your rage, and that usually leads to a tremendous amount of grief. And and then on the other side of that, how do we reclaim our sexuality? And um, to me, that was so important because I certainly didn't want the perpetrator to have that kind of power mm-hmm. over the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be in charge of my life. Mm-hmm. So I ended up having to go to other places a lot of times. Therapy stopped short of that. It's, it's kind of strange, but most therapeutic models are, are pretty sex uh, phobic. They're, they're shame-based around that themselves, even though they're not religiously oriented. It's just kind of a, um, I suppose, a fear about going into that topic. So, you know, it was in the sex positive community that I started learning more about pleasure in the context of having consent and having healthy boundaries. And a lot of this, too, was me synthesizing it on my own. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I gathered information here and information there, brought it all together and started making a cohesive whole for myself because I was just so committed. And I took a very, very controversial and unusual turn. So here I am four years clean and sober and uh, four years uh, into very intense therapy as an incest survivor and a rape survivor. And I chose to become a sex worker. Mm-hmm. And I started off by um, producing what I called feminist porn, and then I became a high-end escort. Uh, later, I would actually be considered a courtesan, a modern-day courtesan. Mm-hmm. And in the in the process of having that journey, for me, it was like really learning how to have um, a lot of sexual sovereignty, of being. Um, beyond the whole shaming thing. There's this way in which when people are trying to reclaim their sexuality, they're only kind of quote-unquote allowed to do it if. Mm -hmm. And and whatever that if is, there's still some way in which it's not actually 
um, coming from our authentic core. And I'm really about trying to help people connect to what's authentically true for them because we're all very different. And, and what we want and what works for us uh, is very different. But there's not a lot, a lot of allowance for that. Even, even in um, therapeutic circles, a lot of times there can be an emphasis on monogamy or an emphasis on marriage or an emphasis on long-term committed relationships or, um, you know, less and less at this point, but in the recent past, uh, emphasis on heterosexuality too. So to, to be able to broaden that field and give people uh, free expression of what fits for them um, it's really a passion of mine. Hmm. Interesting. Now, I read, I'm going to go back to your time as a, an escort. I read that you were making like $15,000 a date. How long did you do it for and when did you stop doing that? Well, I started escorting in the fall of 1989. And I transitioned from escorting to relationship coaching January of 2004. So that was a good 14 years of my life. And during that time, um, all but for the first year, so like the second year on to the time that I stopped, I was married and raising two children. Mm-hmm. So um, very, very unusual arc here. Clean, mm-hmm. sober, married with kids, mm-hmm. college educated, and uh, living in a you know, a, a middle-class suburban environment with a nice house and um, all the middle-class trappings. You would have never guessed that this is what I was doing unless you had seen me on television, <laughs> uh, which, which a lot of people had, because at this point I'd been on everything from Fox News to CNN to the New York Times. But, um, you know, it started off, basically I was, of doing what you would consider kind of middle-class escorting and very quickly transitioned into the high-end stuff. Um, I just found that I loved hanging out with powerful, wealthy men who had big brains, and uh, they enjoyed uh, my intelligence. And um, I, towards the, I'd say like the last five, six years of my career, I basically just flew around um, to visit one person at a time. It was very exclusive. I had a small clientele who paid a premium price for my companionship. And uh, we certainly did a lot more than have sex. Sex was part of it, but we spent an awful lot of time doing uh, really exciting things. Um, you know, uh, lots of lots of five-star restaurants and wow. museums and... Um, I got to go shopping a lot. That was fun too. <laughs> now, it sounds to me that this lifestyle was um, was good for you because you were in control. This seems to me uh, a whole full arc being not in control as a young child in a, in this terrible situation you were in the home to you know finding success, finding love, finding a safe relationship with your husband and your family, and now you get to write the ticket that you want and fulfill a fantasy that's in your brain. That's what it seems like to me. Well, yes, and obviously I I loved the money. And when when my husband and I uh, got engaged and we were going to get married, there was this assumption that I was going to quit escorting 
uh, on his part. And at first I was kind of acquiescing to that. And then I thought, wait a second, I'm a feminist. Why would I quit my job just because I'm getting married? So I told him, I said, look, I, I realize this is probably a, very controversial. You may not want to be married to me while I'm escorting, but I'm not going to quit. So if you want to call off the wedding, that's up to you. But um, this is my life and this is how I'm choosing to live it. Wow, that's so, very um, cool. He, he wasn't happy about it, but he uh, really was in love with me mm-hmm. and decided to go through with the, the marriage. And, and I think that's a really important um, you know, uh, thing to bring to the fore there. And I appreciate you highlighting that, too, because some people might assume that my husband was uh, somehow or another wanting this, and, and he wasn't. Um, he very much didn't and kind of kind of made things unpleasant for me the first two years even though he decided to go ahead with the marriage he was unhappy <laughs> now now you know we're, we're we're swingers and we have been for 13 years and there's always that happy medium about you know who do we want to play with and and you know it's all, never take one for the team so you know over here he was saying i love you i really don't want you to do what you're doing but i'm okay with it did you come back and offer him something that satisfied his needs, whether it be financially or sexually? Did you um, have threesomes? Did you play in the swinging community? Well, so first of all, I don't exactly ascribe to that idea that um, he was doing something for me and then I have to return the favor and do something for him. That just feels um, too transactional for mm-hmm. me. I'm, I'm really trying to help people. Um, show up for what is their truth, not as a bargaining chip, mm-hmm. but just as this is this is my truth. This is who I am. Um, and if you if you are happy to be with me, then you know, please be happy to be with me. And if that doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for you. Mm-hmm. I did, um, however, ask him if he might like to see um, uh, prostitutes. Actually, because to me. That was something that I was open to. And again, what am I open to? What am I willing to agree to? We did a little bit of swinging in the beginning. Uh, and I used to put a, um, like for Father's Day or Valentine's Day, I would put a few $100 bills in the cart and say, <laughs> please go have a good time on me. Mm-hmm. And he really thought that was great for like the first year. And, and then he, he would just take that money and take me out to dinner. Oh, <laughs> I love that story. And, and, yeah, it was not, uh, it, one of the things I've told people a lot of times, I said, look, if you want to have a truly monogamous relationship, not one of those that just claims to be monogamous, but everybody's cheating on each other, open it up. Tell, tell your partner and have an agreement that everything is possible. Because in our case, not in everybody's case, certainly not in your case, but in our case, um, it took the mystique out of it, and um, uh, it just wasn't something that we were very active in after the first year or two. But as long as you find the thing that brings you joy with your partner or on your own, if your life is full of joy, then that is definitely something that you should be striving for. Well, that's the thing, too. And again, I, 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 you know... Even just saying this is a monogamous relationship or this is a polyamorous relationship or this is an open relationship, it's still, then there's kind of an expectation that it's going to stay that way. And I think it's really great to 
revisit what your agreements are and, and also just to see, like, where am I this year? How am I feeling? How are you feeling? Who are we this year? How, how do we feel? Um, that kind of curiosity, I think, keeps things fresh and alive and allows everybody to grow and change over time. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. We're going to um, pause here for a, a quick little commercial break. Um, we've been talking with uh, Veronica Monet all about her journey as a um, high-end escort, about being a sex coach, about being a sexologist, and a celebrity in her own right. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about her website called The Shame-Free Zone. We're going to talk a little bit about a couple of the books that she wrote, so stay tuned. But before we get into the next segment, let's just remind everybody to join us at Naughty and Narlins, July 24 to 28, 2019. Nadia Narlins is the largest lifestyle convention for couples in the world. With over 1,300 couples, this event not only is a full takeover of two of the French Quarter's biggest hotels, it takes over Bourbon Street, too. Check out the SexyLifestyle.com business pages travel and events tab for more information on how to book your tickets for this crazy, fun, entertaining, and informative annual event in the heart of the French Quarter's of Narlins. You won't want to miss it. And it's pretty sexy, too. We were the king and queen last year and had an absolute blast. All right, let's come back. This is The Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carol and David, and today we're talking with sexpert Veronica Monet, all about how we can move uh, beyond shame, um, talk about great sex, and into a place where we love ourselves no matter what. We're going to talk about Shame-Free Zone. We're going to talk about her old book, her new book, and everything that covers erotic empowerment in the era of Me Too. So, you know, Veronica, let's get a little bit into your Shame-Free Zone. Um, what's it all about and why did you create it? Well, thanks for that question. Um, so the Shame-Free Zone is basically me. Uh, so when my clients... Uh, have sessions with me they know they're entering the shame-free zone and it's not just that they can talk about whatever they want and share whatever they want with me but that um and that i won't shame them a lot of people could make that claim it's 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 really bigger than that is that i have done so many things experienced so many things seen so many things and i always tell my clients i said whatever he's going to share with me is probably something that I have either done or something I'm well-versed in because of other clients that I've worked with. You're not going to like catch that little energetic thing in me. This is, Oh my God. Mm. Um, I just, I'm I'm not titillated. I'm not fascinated. uh, I'm not distracted by it. I'm, I'm very focused on people's core essence their energy. I'm, I'm very much wanting to connect with, well, what some of us might call a soul, right? And I don't, I don't get distracted by this other stuff, like what we do and whatever little obsessions or addictions some of my clients are dealing with. I know that everybody has this beautiful core, and sometimes I call that the inner child. I'm just really wanting to get connected to that part of them and help them see that part of themselves. Because we all have that. And they they feel safe in this shame-free zone. Yes, because we don't have to waste time educating me about their particular fetish or uh, proclivities. I'm already very well-versed in all of that. And um, I'm, I'm wanting to get to what really matters, which is what's bothering them. And how can we help them feel 
happier. And that takes a lot of different directions. So the shape-free zone, I've expressed that through my blog, my website, my office, uh, my podcast, everything that I do. And if somebody comes to my website, what they'll find there is a um, an archive of over 200 hours of radio shows and um, lots of blog entries, hopefully helping them to improve their lives. And then also opportunities uh, to get coaching uh, through me, whether as a couple or as an individual. Um, so that's that's kind of a, it in a nutshell. And um, certainly I, I started down that path of healing shame by uh, writing Sex Secrets of Escorts. Um, I'm really pretty bold in that book about talking about um, my myself, about what I did. And I'm also really, at that point, when I wrote Sex Secrets of Escorts, I was really wanting to help women feel more uh, empowered in the bedroom, uh, where they could be more assertive themselves. And, you know, I'll sum it up like this. One of my clients one time asked me um, if I would seduce him. And I remember thinking, well, you're here, aren't you? (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Uh, I I think I did seduce you. That's why you're here. But but I realized, what is he actually saying to me? And I realized there was this way in which a lot of men feel a lot of pressure to perform sexually. Um, like they are supposed to kind of run the sexual show, as it were, and figure out what turns her on and how to turn her on and when to turn her on and then make her feel beautiful, make her feel desired, all of those things, which are wonderful, wonderful things. But if it never comes back, and there's so many men who really have this deep desire to want to feel very attractive mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. desired themselves, and and would love to have a woman kind of um, run the sexual show for them. And, I, and I'm not talking about uh, pro-dom work here. I actually have done a lot of pro-dom work. I'm just talking about what seduction can look like and how sometimes women's training has um, kind of made them elating in waiting. I, I, I understand what, yeah. that, but I understand yeah, what exactly. that guy was looking for because I love being seduced and being wanted and being taken care of. And it, it's an amazing feeling. And I, I have the hardest erections and hardest cocks when and we're in a swinging situation and the woman is into me. Yeah, and also when Carol's yeah, into me. <laughs> of course. Well, the good thing with our relationship is that we're so open that we talk about these things. So I know that that's what David wants in his life. So I understand his wants and needs. And of course, uh, I want to give him that. But in so many relationships, the man doesn't know how to ask for what he needs. And so therefore, he's asking you for something like that, which we get that. If you don't know how to express yourself with your partner, uh, you need to find it somewhere, right? So that's kind of probably where he was coming from. But he must have known that you were an escort in your past life somehow, because I feel that that oh, is no, a no, role no. of is, an escort. This is, this is this is while I was escorting. This was yes, exactly, was exactly. An and I really yeah. feel that that's the yeah. role of an escort is one of those things that you know men want to be seduced. Of course they do, not just not just women. And I love that idea that you can give that gift to somebody and make them feel. Uh, on top of the world, but why not? You know, like we all deserve to feel that way. 
Well, escorts have lots of different roles, um, but I think what's really important is to also help women understand that if they free this part of themselves, this isn't about meeting his needs, it's about meeting her needs. Mm. It's about actually getting into, you know, there's like 80% of women have low libido, no sexual desire at all. And, and, and I think part of this, I think it's twofold. One, there's a lot of guys out there who have no clue how the female body works. And two, um, I think women in general, uh, at least those 80% who are not having any sexual desire, oftentimes have just kind of shut it down because they're, they're not even connected to their desire. It's all about uh, whether or not it's okay. Is it okay to be sexually aroused now? Can, you know, do I feel safe enough? Do I feel like I'm, in, you know, doing the right thing or the wrong thing? I don't know. How much shame do I have in this? If a woman can get really connected to the part of her libido that is sexually assertive, that actually takes um, an active role, it can do wonders for helping her connect with desire, with her own desire. And I, I just feel like this is for a lot of women, certainly not for you, Carol, but for mm-hmm. a lot of women, an untapped terrain mm-hmm. of if they could give themselves permission to take that active, assertive role sexually, they might find out they've got a lot more desire than they think they do. Yeah, and I know that in the last segment, we're going to be talking about arousal a lot more. And very often, men don't know even how to make that happen for their female partner. So we will talk more about that then. But you know, I know that you have you're working on this new book. And it's, uh, you know, it's incredibly timely for this Me Too culture that we're in at this moment, all about consent and boundaries and all of those things. So can we can you start by explaining to you what the basis of your book is all about? I would love to. So the the title is called Love, Lust, and Romance in the Wake of Me Too. Uh, And it's making consent sexy for all genders. So the thing is, for quite quite a few decades, we've had a definition of consent that relied upon the absence of the word no. So she didn't say no, so it was consensual. Or she did say no. So it wasn't consensual. And first of all, I want to point out this is very gendered. So the whole idea is somehow or another women give permission or they decline permission to have sex as if there's no men out there that are also having their consent violated, right. which I, that's, that's going to be in the book. Mm-hmm. I, seriously, I've, mm-hmm. I've got stories from men who have been sexually violated by women uh, this year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I agree with you. It, it, it happens to all genders, and it's really important that we start having conversations without it being so gendered and thinking that it's just about women that who, who are having um, uh, being perpetrated against. But I will acknowledge the vast majority of, of um, those incidences often are perpetrations by men on women. I get that. Um, we are moving culturally towards something called affirmative consent. And what that means is that it's not considered consent unless you hear an active, enthusiastic yes. And in some ways, this is a huge stride forward, and I can understand why that's become the new uh, value or uh, standard. But I also feel that that's limiting. 
And and here's why. I think that there is a place where we might become a little more intuitive as a species. There's there's some way where we just have lost our ability to read each other's body language and to connect in ways that don't involve active words. So this is something I'm going to be exploring in my book, is how do we actually take consent out of the world of academe or out of the halls of of justice? Because basically, that's where consent resides right mm-hmm. now. Um, and, and, and how do we actually take it into a sexy forum? Like, what does it look like to be um, consensual and sexy at the same time? What does that look like? Now, I know some people are developing some very, very sexy ways of talking about consent. And I've participated in those, and they really do work. But I want to take it further than that. I want us to be able to also start understanding energy. There's, you know, my dog understands energy. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a stretch to ask people to start paying attention to energy. And I think it's pretty obvious when the person that you're having sex with is not actually having a good time. Mm-hmm. Unless, of course, you aren't paying attention and you don't know how to read energy. So that's that's kind of where I'm wanting to evolve the topic of consent. No, and that's really cool because, you know, in the swinging lifestyle, it all starts with asking, do you want to have sex with us? We're a couple, we're swingers, and you approach another couple who are swingers also. And you got to find that compatible couple where you feel the sexual energy, you feel a sexy vibe between you, and, and it feels good, and it feels comfortable. And at the same time, you and your partner, me and David, basically are checking in with each other constantly. How is How are you doing, honey? How does this feel? Does it still feel good? And even now, does it still feel good? Throughout the sexual experience, we're not finding it non-sexy. Uh, we're just making sure our partner's happy. We're making sure everything's still good. And there's no reason why we can't do that type of thing outside of a swinging lifestyle environment, like just in a normal couple and you know, space where you're, you're checking in. Do you, are you still enjoying yourself? Is it still feel good? And whether you say the words, like you said, that's not all that sexy saying the words, but you're vibing with each other, checking out that energy. Are you still enjoying it? Are you not? But you're checking in constantly looking at each other, making sure that you are feeling that sexy vibe continuing. And when it's not, you know, to pull back or then to ask the question, because I think that you're on the right track, because we learn a lot by the the sexual vibe. And, and then if you're still not sure, then you can ask the question. You know, Carol, you bring up a really good point, too. And this is that a lot of the really what I consider really useful techniques around consent and sexual pleasure uh, around establishing safety really derive from the swinging community, from the polyamorous community, and from the kinky community. Those three communities have had to put some thought and effort into being conscious about being honest and about being able to speak without shame about their particular sexual proclivities and activities. And, for instance, in the kinky community, of course, we have safe words. So you would never, ever engage a scene without a safe word. Uh, But here we have people 
quote-unquote vanilla people having sex who once the sex is in play, once it starts to happen, have no clue how they could stop the Mm -hmm. sex, no clue how to check in with each other during the sex. Um, It becomes kind of this unconscious uh, wrestling match in some ways. And, and that's really sad. This is where a lot of confusion and miscommunication can occur, where one person thinks it's consensual and the other one is not real clear on what they do or don't want. And I think, I personally think that if the, if the alternative sexual communities could educate the mainstream um, about all the things that we have learned about negotiating sexual interaction, it would be an enormous leap forward um, for the culture. Absolutely. And unfortunately, most of these cultures and alternative lifestyles are underground and people don't even admit that they're part of this culture. Like when you described your middle-class lifestyle and yet you were an escort, I kind of feel that we kind of live that same scene because we're living a middle class. Nobody would know. We have six kids. Nobody knows. Our neighbors don't know that we're swingers, for example. So... We've, I felt we, I, as soon as you described that scenario that you're an escort, nobody would have guessed. Well, nobody guesses that we're swingers either. We just look like average Joe people. Do you think anybody would guess that you're doing our radio show here totally <laughs> naked with yes. your nipples erect and you're playing with your tits the whole show and you're yeah. playing with your clit a little see, earlier? See, nobody would guess that. But here I am naked <laughs> talking to you because I am a nudist and I love it. I mean, I am always touching my tits when I'm talking, especially when I get, you know, get into the whole conversation. So yeah, who would guess that I'm sitting here naked? And who would guess that we're swingers in this community where we live? But unfortunately, let me get back, I digress, that uh, the people in this underground lifestyles like kink, like polyamory, and like the swinging lifestyle, unfortunately, are underground and and keep the secrets within the communities of how it's so successful. But they, can't, they can't even go out there and talk to their know, friends who have bad know, marriages exactly. about, you guys need to do this. You guys need to talk. You need to get through this. You need to tell somebody what you and like. And instead they spend their time hiding it from everyone right. because it's not socially acceptable. Yeah, exactly. So it, it's good that you're writing this book. I'm loving the fact that you're writing this book. If you, you need a quote, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll give you some quotes for your book. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to help you. Well, thank you. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yes, and, and your book and also, is necessary. Way, I think it's time. It's really, yes, it needs to be out there. And, and by the way, I just want to invite your listeners uh, to contact me with comments and questions because I'm only about a third of the way through the book. And there's a lot more yet to be said. And I want to invite public participation in moving this conversation forward. Absolutely. So just, uh, just they can contact me through the shamefreezone.com and, and help be a part of the book writing process. Right. And one of the very important things, which we haven't mentioned yet, and I do not want to leave this segment without it, is could you please talk on the point that you're allowed to say no thank you? It doesn't hurt their feelings. It, you just have to worry about your own safety and your own pleasure. It's okay to say no. Well, of course it's okay to say no, but I want to I actually share a five-step process that I teach for saying a very solid no that creates heart connection. So it's instead of simply saying no, thank you, This is how I especially like to teach couples who are in long-term committed relationships. But you can do this with anybody. 
I do it with total strangers, not necessarily in a sexual context right now because I'm in a polyphidelitous sexual relationship, but in just life. People invite you to a party or they invite you to go do this or do that, and you don't want to. This is what it can look like. The first thing you can do, let's say your partner wanted to have a sexual, a type of sex that you have absolutely zero interest in. You're just never going to do it. You've already done it maybe in the past and decided it's not for you. So you could say something like this, wow, you know, a lot of people really enjoy that. I can see why you might want to try that. I call this validation. I'm really validating the desire in this other person. I want them to feel human, part of the human tribe. And if I'm not careful when it comes to sex, if I simply say, no, thank you, somebody can, not that it's my responsibility, but they can feel shamed. And if it's my partner, I really, really want to make sure that I'm not creating any opportunity for shaming. And, and then after the validation, I want to appreciate them. And the way that I appreciate them is I say, what a lucky woman I am that you brought this to me. You could have taken it somewhere else, but you brought it to me. And I really want to thank you for that and, and honor that and celebrate that, that I'm so lucky that you're telling me this. Now, the reason that I think this is an important step is because sometimes what this will do, if, you, if the partner just hears a no thank you or a no, or a yuck, they that's may gross. not only... Yeah, they may not only feel shamed, but but they may also feel like the door is slamming shut. Like, mm-hmm. I better not bring any future requests either. Mm-hmm. I, this, is, this is not, I'm not enjoying this, so I'm just not going to do it again. So I want them to feel a lot of positive strokes for coming to me. And then it's step three when I say an absolute firm no. It's not negotiated. It's not kind of, sort of, maybe someday. It's just, I, I need you to know. I've done that before. I hate it. I will never be doing it again. But see, if I just stop right there, now my partner's heart has probably stopped and they're like hanging there on the edge of their seat going, well, what do we do then? I mean, oh my God, what's, what happens? And right then and there, I want to come with step four, which is what I call the redirect. And I come in and I say very enthusiastically, However, there is this other thing I have been dying to try with you. Mm-hmm. So in four steps, I have gone acknowledging that their desire is normal, appreciating the fact that they brought that desire to me, said an absolute positive firm no, and then taken us in another direction for something else that we could do, which I would also enjoy. Now, step five is this. Maybe my partner is still stinging from the no. Maybe they're feeling a little pouty and they don't want to do my suggestion either. That's fine. I don't want to get hung up on that. What I want to say is, okay, let's, I call this the invitation. Let's plan a time when you and I can sit down and we can explore other things that we would both enjoy doing together. So that's what I I call this the exquisite partnership formula. Mm -hmm. It might seem a little bit long, and at first it might not be intuitive, but I teach couples to do this all the time. And as they start to master the format, it really uh, starts to open their hearts to each other. And um, I get a lot of 
a lot of feedback that they're having the best sex of their life now. So it's, it's, <laughs> no, it's, I know, um, I know it nice. works. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I, I agree with you. You're allowed to say no, and but that is a very, very good advice on how to say no politely, kindly, with integrity, with love, and not slamming that door in their face, like and yucking their yum, which I think is so important that, that we have to acknowledge that their uh, enjoyment might not be your enjoyment, but that's okay. You know, and find somebody else to do it or, or what but yes, maybe something else right. we can do together. I love that idea. Yes, yes. Well, it works, and I love watching it work in my office. <laughs> I do. Love it, love it. <laughs> because it, it's, but you know, here's the funny thing about saying no. It is mostly an act that is shame-based for a lot of people. As soon as they start to say no, they feel guilty. So this five-step process is not just about making your partner feel human and loved and, and appreciated and celebrated. It's also about helping you break free of whatever shame you feel about having a boundary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Which is okay yeah. to do. All right. So that was a great segment. We're having a great discussion with Veronica Monet. She's an author and sexologist. And uh, we're just going to pause for a quick moment. And when we get back, we're going to get into Great Sex Matters. But first, we want to invite everyone to join us on the STC Croatian Cruise in 2020. It's departing from Venice, Italy, August 29, 2020, for seven sensual nights and eight glorious days of visiting some of the most historic cities in Europe throughout Croatia and the Eastern Mediterranean. So come party with us on a ship full of open-minded, sexy couples and find yourself swept up into a dream world of such incredible beauty and sensuality. It's going to take your breath away. For more information about this trip or anything else, you can visit our website, thesexylifestyle.com, or send us an email at ask at carolindavid.com. All righty, we're back. We didn't really go away, but we're back. This is The Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carol and David, and we're talking with internationally acclaimed sexual empowerment, intimacy change maker. I just love that. Veronica Monet. And now it's time. <laughs> and now it's time for our favorite segment, which is Great Sex Matters. And because we all deserve it. And so now we've learned so much about how you can overcome shame and heal from past trauma experiences and thrive in a safe and loving relationship. And we also discussed and agree that consent in the age of Me Too is essential for great sex. So let's move into the topic topic of sexual arousal especially women's sexual arousal, which a lot of people don't understand, but and how it's portrayed in porn versus how it really happens in great sex. And, and let's remind everyone that porn has a place in sex. It's entertainment. It's yes. not necessarily educational, but there's some great um, examples of people and organizations that have porn for specific reasons. Well, there's different types of porn. Let's, let's start with the basic porn that we all know. So, Veronica, when we were talking about Pornhub and regular porn, how is that different from maybe perhaps femme porn or like, like from, for example, Erica Lust has some beautiful femme porn. How is the difference in female arousal? It, for the vast majority of mainstream pornographic representation, there is, it, it's unrealistic about female bodies. I think what we see is a woman who may be getting off on the fact that a guy ejaculated on her back. Now, I'm not saying no woman has ever thought that that was hot or exciting, but 
the vast majority of women probably are not going to achieve an orgasm that way. Really? Um, (laughs) (laughs) And and, and I'm very aware of the fact that orgasms do not always, you don't always have to be touched to have an orgasm. You can have an orgasm just through mental excitation. Um, And and there's a lot of interesting ways to have orgasms uh, that don't even involve genitals. But by and large, when men and women get together to have sex, um, there's a way in which a woman's body um, would prefer to be stimulated tactily. <laughs> it doesn't right. happen when you're ejaculating on her chest or ejaculating in her face or ejaculating on her back. And sometimes, I have to say, I feel like mainstream porn can actually feel harsh um, like there's almost some anger, or, or I don't know, um, towards women. It doesn't. It doesn't feel uh, joyful to me. When we look at pornography that is produced by women, I see um, more playfulness and more joy. Mm-hmm. I see more attention to how the female body actually works and responds to sexual pleasure. Uh, and then also sometimes more diversity in female bodies and um, race, age, all kinds of interesting things that, that make porn um, more attractive for everybody to view mm-hmm. so that um, it's not just this rarefied um, image that maybe feels very distant from reality. Now, when we bring in the real world porn, which is, uh, there's a website called Make Love Not Porn, where actual couples or partners are lovemaking and videotaping their lovemaking, which is another beautiful way of looking at porn. And it's actual real sex, as opposed to, I guess, commercially driven, uh, produced sex like porn is. And that's another way of enjoying sexuality and getting aroused and watching people have sex. I mean, we see it all the time when the swinging lifestyle, of course, we're in orgies and we're in the middle of uh, an amazing orgy. We're watching porn around us and it's live porn and it's happening right in front of us and we're hearing it and experiencing it. And that's real world porn because we're there and it's happening. How about if we make a video and put it on Make Love Not Porn? Cindy would love it. Yeah, Cindy, for sure. Would you I, do that? I thought you guys already had. I'm surprised no, you haven't already. No, we have okay. not yet. <laughs> we have to get through some of the... Uh, I'm not saying there's shame around yeah. it, but there's still some, some caution around it, you know, uh, for sure. Oh, I understand. <laughs> yeah. You've, you've got to be careful, especially if your children are underage. Um, our children are not because, underage, and I'm not worried about our children. It's more, um, it's, it's, it's oh, definitely it. still more me. I'm still a little bit shy. Just You might not think so, but definitely I am. Sitting here naked, playing with my tits, but I'm still a little but bit shy. But you're not shy <laughs> when we're in an orgy or no. on, on some of the cruise ships where there's you know four or 500 people in the playroom. You're like all over the place. Well, how bad would it be if we if No, we it's not bad. I'm not, saying any, I'm not saying it's bad. Mm-hmm. I think she would love having us on there, and I'm not against it. Okay. I just have to get my head around it and... And be there and make it nice and whatever. But yes, that's definitely interesting. You know, you know, Carol, Carol, it really helped me to decide what I would and wouldn't do in front of the camera. Um, I had a desire to get in front of the camera, first of all, but I, I also had a desire to to be very specific about what I would and wouldn't do. So um, I don't know if that's helpful or not. But if no. if I kn- knew that it was I was producing it, then I knew that I was in complete charge of 
of what would and and that I would have final edit on it too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that might so be that, that might be the deciding. Fa- yes, that might be the deciding factor. But it's funny because David has actually never mentioned it until this minute on air. So there you go. Um, <laughs> he, he put that out there, and that was my response. It's kind of fun. Well, yes, and, and let's just return to the idea that boundaries are cool. Um, so. There is no no reason you can't say no to the whole thing, Carol. So let, let's um, let's go into the next topic, which is a little bit about how women's arousal and desire is different from men's arousal, because not everybody understands that by watching porn. You know, and that's also a misnomer, because one of the things you have to understand about mainstream porn is that a lot of times the guys are on medication to keep their themselves erect. Uh, and if they're not on medication to keep themselves erect, there are uh, people off uh, off screen, and they're not they're not in the video, who are doing they're working overtime to keep the guy <laughs> fluffers. Erect. So yes, exactly. So it's not it's it's not realistic for either gender. And and I also just want to acknowledge that there's 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 more than just male and female here. There's all kinds of genders on this planet at this point. And it's really important to, you know, to include everybody in this. I think for that reason, it becomes less and less uh, pertinent or um, even applicable to say that we've got, you know, male uh, sexual response and female sexual response. We've got a lot of different sexual response out there. And one of the things that I learned as an escort working with, lots of uh, cisgender men for 14 years was that their sexuality was actually very similar to female sexuality if they were going to have a peak sexual experience. If I was going to help create that for them, I had to move out of a lot of assumptions about male sexual response. So talking about human sexual response first, and then I'll I'll dive into female sexual response, and pun intended there. (laughs) Um, The... The male sexual response uh, and female sexual response is really, first and foremost, in the head. It's in the brain. And getting to know what's going on inside our, our heads and our hearts is so much more important than learning the mechanics of the genitalia that's in front of you. So, And here we are back to energy. I like to teach a lot of people how to move energy in subtle ways. Uh, by learning how to work with their breath, learning how to um, work with their fingertips and, um, and, and start generating energy from their fingertips so that they can really start to create peak sexual experiences. And the breath is a crucial aspect of this too because when we start to raise that kundalini energy from the base of our spine, which is really where our sexual um, orgasms come from, it comes from the spine, not the genitals. The genitals are just kind of like a, a way to get to that energy. But if, if your uh, listeners are curious, they can always look up Mary Roach's TED Talk, 10 Things You Never Knew About Orgasm, where she talks about how if people lose access to their genitals, the, the um, a site of arousal just relocates anywhere from the neck to the earlobes. So orgasm wow. can occur anywhere. But let's talk about female bodies because they, and here again, we're talking about cisgender female bodies, uh, bodies that were born with a cervix and a, a womb 
and a clitoris and and all of that equipment. It's all very connected to each other. So one of the misnomers is that the vaginal barrel doesn't fill very much. It actually does vis-a-vis the clitoris because the clitoris has a, a, a cuff. It has a piece of tissue that runs around the barrel of the vagina and once the clitoris becomes aroused, you can, can actually start pulling in on the barrel of the vagina. And then, of course, the vagina also has its own muscles. So if we start thinking about how we're going to arouse the female genitalia, we want to be looking at how to make it puffy, not lubricated. That's the wrong emphasis. If you're just looking for how you're going to lubricate the vagina, you've missed the, the best part of female arousal, which is about creating puffiness. We want all of those tissues to be super engorged. When they're very, very puffy and everything's engorged, <clears throat> then you're going to have the kind of sexual desire to be penetrated and to, and to fill uh, that fullness inside yourself that's, that's um, intoxicating and almost unbearable. But a lot of times what couples will do is they're just checking to see if the vagina is lubricated. And then they try to achieve penetration too soon. Um, So I ask people to slow down. And one of the things that you can do to create puffiness, and that is all this engorgement, all this blood flow, is to actually learn where the vestibular bulbs are. And the vestibular bulbs are located just under the tissue between the glands, which is the clitoris, clitoris is uh, head, and the entrance to the vagina. Mm, that my favorite spot. Of skin. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. And that little spot right there, if you gently tug on it, mm. the little uh, vestibular bulbs that lie just under the surface will start to swell. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is that right at the um, entrance of the vagina, at the bottom of the entrance, if the the if you like using a finger, a finger is oftentimes the best way to go inside first, because we can start to create a lot of sexual desire for more penetration if we use a finger first. And you want to like twist the finger right there at the bottom of the entrance of the vagina. Twist it just gently. And and then you want to be bringing this energy that is more about asking a question. Now, what that means is that I, I want to actually be having a conversation with the vagina. I want to, like, check her mood. I want to see how she's feeling. Um, and sometimes that might mean that I'm just going to hold still and breathe with her and and see if she starts to pulse and if she starts to try to pull me in further. Now, this requires a lot more intuition, a lot more breathing, a lot more presence than is often um, the case because a lot of times there's a lot of sexual desire and we want to we want to hurry up and get there and and I have done this to myself many times I like I have a tremendous amount of emotional and mental sexual desire but I don't realize that my body hasn't caught up to that 
So in order to allow my body to be fully present, I need to slow down and really keep checking in with her. And there's two spots in the female body that are really important places of arousal, but they're also places that hold a lot of emotional trauma. So we want to approach these places with a great deal of respect. And the first is the G spot. This is why some women will say they know where their G spot is, but they don't like to have it touched. And I believe that's because a lot of times, first of all, it's being touched too roughly or too soon. And it may also be that there is some sexual trauma that's in there and that that needs to be released. So we have to give ourselves permission sometimes to cry in order to get to the pleasure. And that's okay. You don't have to be a rape survivor to need to cry away some sexual trauma. It could be simply living in a culture that is, by and large, misogynistic and sex-phobic. It could be any number of reasons. Sexual shame that resides there. Um, If you go up further inside, right at the tip of the cervix, towards the anterior wall, that's towards the belly, towards the tummy, there is another little spot, very much like the G-spot, and it's called the anterior fornix. In sex education circles, we call it the anterior fornix erogenous zone. Now, this I like to think of as kind of our inner sanctuary. This This is so far up in there that... This stores probably some of the most intense emotions, but it is also a place where you can activate sexual desire and lubrication in women who at this point might actually feel like they are anaorgasmic and unable to achieve any kind of sexual desire at all. So it's a great place to go if you're postmenopausal and you've lost sexual function and desire. You can start to awaken things again by going in and gently teasing the anterior for, um, uh, fornix. And you want to do this kind of like you were tickling the palm of your hand. So I'm hoping, I don't know how good of a job I have done mm-hmm. describing this because I'm so used to illustrating this with my vulva puppet. But the idea is that we're wanting to, instead of, um, this fast, furious pumping action. We're wanting to go in in ways that are more um, kind of tickling and touching and gently caressing and waiting for the vulva to talk back wow. because she will. She has a lot to say, <laughs> and she may have never been able to say it before. And it could be very, very well be that nobody's ever listened before. Mm-hmm. And, and so to start listening to what she wants to say um, is to give her an opportunity to get out her anger and her grief and then get very, very connected with her deep lust. Wow. I mean, that was so amazing just to listen to your description. Yes, you don't have your puppet in front of you, but you did an amazing job describing the vulva, (laughs) describing the vagina, all the different parts and what we need to do. And I love that idea of the slow tickling motion to awaken our vagina so that she can talk back and say, yes, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm aroused. I'm ready. I'm desirable. I want that now. And I, I could just feel it as you were talking. So wow, what an amazing job. 
Well, you know, we are coming to the end of our show. It has been fantastic, but I think it's time for our final advice. So if you had a chance to tell couples what they could do tonight that might get their romantic relationship back on track, what would be that first thing that they should do together so that they could enjoy good sex again? Great sex. A great sex again. Great sex. Yeah. Great sex. Okay, so I, I'm going to say something really out of the box here. Um, I'm going to say two things. Keep your clothes on and have an argument. So <laughs> let me explain. Let me explain what I mean by that. First of all, there is this fabulous thing called sensate focus. Masters and Johnson's developed it in the 70s. And I take a lot of my clients to this when they're having difficulty with um, sex in a long-term connect connected relationship and I just put your clothes back on and I want you to to spend 30 minutes um, looking into each other's eyes uh, caressing each other's face uh, breathing with each other and and if you want to take it further than that that first 20 minutes um, perhaps you could do a little bit of that furtive dry humping that you might have done when you were in high school. <laughs> so the, the whole idea about sensate focus is we want to kind of start over again and reconnect with those things that used to drive us crazy when we were teenagers and reconnect with each other, with, with each other's hearts and souls and, and, and feel that connection. Because unfortunately, when we've been having sex for a long time, Sometimes that can turn into a routine. You don't want sex to be routine, ever. Now, the reason that I say have an argument is because almost all couples have some buried uh, resentments or irritations that, unfortunately, what will happen is kind of like, eh, it's not worth fighting over. Who cares? Let it go. Well, if you do that once or twice, it's not a big deal. But if you do that over and over and over again, year after year after year, it builds up kind of like plaque on your teeth, okay? And unfortunately, when you start suppressing the negative emotions, the positive ones go with them. So if you really want to have those mind-bending, toe-curling orgasms, it helps to clean the slate. It helps to go in and talk about those frustrations and irritations. And you got to have some communication tools and anger management tools for how to do this in ways that don't harm the relationship and don't create wounds in yourself and in each other. Uh, and, of course, that is what I teach couples. But clearing, cleaning house like that um, and then having sex. I usually, I actually traveled around the western part of the United States teaching sex classes. Couples would come in, they were going to have sex in my class, but they had to spend the first hour and a half arguing. Hmm. And I wasn't, I wasn't doing this in order to create a whole bunch of heat so that they could have makeup sex. That wasn't the object here. I was clearing, cleaning house. I was helping them clear away some of the cobwebs so that they could end up enjoying the last hour and a half peak sexual experiences, which of course I coached, wow. but <laughs> no, I get it. 
I get it. Your your yeah. cle- cleaning house makes you feel better, and then that you can go into it with like a clear, like you said, a clear mind, and then just focus yeah. on each other and not those stupid things that are the barriers that you've put up because you didn't take out the garbage when I said so and you made me paint the walls when da 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 whatever those bickering things that we find ourselves doing after a while I know when Dave and I uh, have a little spat that we're bickering it's because we haven't had enough sex that week I know for a fact that that's kind of what the result is so yeah you take back those few words you get to bed you have your sex and the bickering goes away. So if you let that bickering like get between you and your partner, then you do need to clean house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and one of the things that I like to do is get people's hearts connected. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. Sometimes just sharing how you feel about something, even if there's no solution, even mm-hmm. if neither one of you can solve mm-hmm. it, quote unquote, mm-hmm. solve it, if if you could just create space to hear each other and validate each other and go, I hear how you feel and I understand how you feel. Um, seeing each other as human and that that's okay. We'd, nobody has to be right or wrong. It's just we are. We have we're complex. We have all these emotions. And when you feel fully seen by your partner, um, your desire for them is just multiplied that much more. Wow. That is a perfect way to end an amazing show. We've been talking with sexpert Veronica Monet. Veronica, thank you so much for being here. All that amazing advice. Mm, my pleasure. This, you guys are fun. Why don't you take a minute and tell everyone how they can reach out to you? Well, absolutely. The best way is just come to my website, theshamefreezone.com. My email address, same thing, veronica at theshamefreezone.com. You can you can also just Google Veronica Monet. I've got a Wikipedia now, so uh, the website's listed over there, mm-hmm. uh, along with a lot of things I've done. <laughs> I, I, I've recently found out that there's a whole file on me at the Kinsey Institute of all things. <laughs> um, <laughs> very cool. Very, very yeah. cool. And, yeah. we, we... And, and, and just as a reminder, I would love to hear from your listeners if they have any Me Too stories or confusions, or frustrations, or questions about how do we date now going forward uh, in the era of Me Too, uh, send them my way so I can uh, bring that stuff into the book. And it doesn't mean I'm going to tell all your stories, but unless you want me to, I might do that too. And we thank you so much for the great work that you're doing. It's so timely and so important. And we're learning more and more every week with all our fantastic sexpert guests, and we hope you do too. So remember to go to our website, thesexylifestyle.com, to find credible information about sex and sexuality. And remember to sign up on sdc.com if you're looking for an open-minded online community to meet other sexy people and find out where the events are happening near you. If you use promo code 30314, you're going to get your first month free. So check it out. And if you want to find out more information about anything we spoke about on this show, you can go to sexylifestyle.com or send us an email at ask at carolandavid.com. So that's it for our show today. Veronica, Monet, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. You guys are great. We reserve the right to invite you back to talk about some of your other amazing um, projects that you're working on and definitely to launch your new book when you're ready for it. And let's thank all. Yes, our li- yes, yes. And we're going to thank all our listeners for tuning in today. 
And remember to tune in to the Sexy Lifestyle Network for 24-7 talk radio with many other hosts all talking about sex, sexuality, and relationships. That's the sexylifestylenetwork.com. So join us again next time for another hour of the Sexy Lifestyle talking about sex and sexuality and all the fun ways to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and always horny. Stay sexy, everyone. Until next time. Thank you for joining Carol and David for this week's edition of The Sexy Lifestyle. We've got another one lined up next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on The Sexy Lifestyle Network. The weekend is just around the corner, so try something new, spice it up, and you just might have the best sex ever. 